We, we've been talking about this series we called Re. Not a real fancy name to call a series of teaching, but yet a very important because Re, you recognize, is one of those little phrases that we tend to add to uh, verbs or nouns if we're wanting to change their meaning or describe a change in position or a, or a state of something. It really speaks of change. And, and yet as Christians, we recognize that there are things in our lives and our faith that never change. We'd all agree that God never changes. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and what? Help me out. You're not going to be able to be quiet today. I'm going to bring you in, all right? Yesterday, today, and forever. We recognize that God doesn't change. His word doesn't change. And listen carefully. Neither do his promises to you and I. He's not a man that he should lie. He doesn't go back on his word. He doesn't wake up in a bad mood. Our God is faithful. But yet we recognize that culture changes. We recognize that church changes. We recognize that, that all types of things change around us. And there are times throughout history where the church of Jesus Christ needs to recalibrate or, or reconnect, not to the changes of culture, but back to the truth of God's word. Because God's word does not change just because culture does. God's word does not change because society does. And just because society calls something good doesn't mean it's right according to God's word. Would you agree with that this morning? And so we're going into this series and we're looking at Jesus and in the most raw form. What did he say? What did he do? How did he engage? Because if we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, how many believe we ought to reflect who Jesus is? I love this uh, from N.T. Wright. We, we did this on the first week, but I want you to see it again. It says simply this. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is or what grief is, look at Jesus. And go looking until you're not just a spectator, but you're actually part of the drama, which has him as the central character. Guys, that's what I'm inviting us into. That's what I'm asking you to do is engage in the story of Jesus, not as a spectator, but engage in the drama, feel the weight of it, and let God shape your life as he shapes us through his word. Because what we're seeing is this. We're seeing Jesus draw a line. We're seeing him draw a line in the sand and, and basically demand, which side are you going to be on? Are, are you going to be a follower of Christ or are you just going to play the religious game? We, we put it this way to be on your screen. Is your identity as one of his followers lining up with your testimony? In other words, if you say you're a Christian, can others around you say, yeah, I see that? Or can others around you kind of go, really? Is that so? Because we live in a day where a lot of people who have named the name of Jesus publicly are not living according to his word at all. And because of that, the world is rejecting the message of the church. And what they're doing is they're rejecting Jesus. But can I tell you, there is hope because Jesus Christ is on the throne. I don't know if you've been seeing it around our nation right now in some of our universities. There's a revival breaking out among our students. Asbury, we're seeing in Lee University and other places. And those who's been around the block long enough to see revivals come and go, our prayer is this, oh God, help the adults not come and mess it up. You know, let, let it roll. Let the Holy Spirit get a hold of those lies. Because you know what a revival is? It's a revival of repentance and humility and coming back to the Word of God. Yeah. Guys, we can talk about generations following all of us, but I believe there's always a season where God captures the heart and says, no, we're not done yet. Let me pull you back to the reality of who I am, what I'm about, what I'm teaching, and you have a choice. You can realign your actions, your attitudes, or you can just go on about life being religious. Now, I don't want to be a person that's just known for religion. I want to know Jesus. Amen? 
So would you pray with me this morning? We're going to enter more to this topic and we're going to let God speak to our lives today. Father, God, I thank you. The God, you call us into your word, God. You call us into the narrative of your gospels, Father. God, and you call us there not to, to seek uh, for us to define who this God is uh, that we want to have faith in, but rather, God, that we would know the God who demands our faith, the God who is the same yesterday and forever, God, the one that doesn't change but offers life and life abundantly through his son, Jesus. So, Father, I pray today, God, that, Lord, you open our hearts open our minds. God, either let us shake off the things of the week or rejoice over the things of this week, whatever our experience was, God. And in these moments we have together, let us focus in and let you change us by your goodness. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If we were honest, we could all come up with a better Jesus in our minds. If we were honest, when we read the word of God, if we could, could kind of create our own Jesus, we could all come up with a Jesus that we would like a little better. Maybe a Jesus that loves everyone and challenges nobody. Maybe a, maybe a Jesus that just tells us to believe and has no expectation of surrender. But when we do that, we're not describing Jesus, we're describing Mr. Rogers. And no one ever crucifies Mr. Rogers because we like him. But yet Jesus didn't come just to be popular. He didn't come just to make everyone feel good. In fact, he didn't come to patch us up or make us better. He came to give us new life. He came to give us a new life, a new journey as a new creation in Christ Jesus. You see, today we're going to look at a story of Jesus that really puts him on the side of that, that place where maybe we'd say he was politically incorrect. In fact, if you follow along in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 2, verse 13, it says, He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. If you haven't been with us much through the series, we must remember this. Jesus said, this is why I came. I must teach. I must preach the word of God. He came to give his life as a ransom for all of us, but yet his main primary purpose was to teach us the better way. And if that's the case, then maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you're missing something in your relationship with Christ. Maybe you, maybe you looked around this morning and you saw people worshiping God or you heard the praise and you're like, God, why am I missing out on that? Let me challenge you with something today. If our understanding of that Jesus' primary reason is to teach us, then it should not be our primary purpose to learn. And maybe this morning, instead of praying for an experience, maybe this morning you come and instead of our prayer life being defined by get, 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 or bless, 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 maybe we should come today and just simply pray, God, let me learn something about you today. Let me, let me learn something about you today. When we come with a humble heart, how many know the teacher will teach? When we come with a humble heart, we will learn. But all we come is we're focused on what we want and what we perceive, then we're going to miss out on what God will do in us today. So let's have open hearts and let God speak to us. Because in verse 14, we pick up a very controversial part of the story of Jesus, at least in that day. And it starts with this. And as he passed by... He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, just real quick footnote, that is also Matthew. We'll see that later on. Matthew, we read Matthew's gospel. But in the moment, he is Levi of Alphaeus sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Levi, leave your tax booth, follow me. Now, if we were first century believers, if we were of the Jewish uh, family of God, can I tell you, that would be the moment we would close the book we say, nope, no thank you. If that's the type of person Jesus wants in his kingdom, then no thank you. I'm out. 
You see, in that moment, Jesus would lose that first century crowd. If that's where Jesus is going to go, he'd lose the average Jewish man or woman in that moment. Why? Because Levi worked for the IRS. And we all know this time of the year how we feel about that, right? None of us looks out and around and says, April 15th, woo tax day, yeah. But yet, we recognize there's a purpose in it. But even the connotation of it is why when I came out of college as a CPA and I was an auditor, I used to have to always explain myself, I'm an auditor, but not like the IRS, okay? We're the good auditors, you know, we're the good guys. But the reality is there's a lot of good people that work for the IRS, and I will say it clear this morning, I may not like paying taxes, but I drove in on some pretty nice roads today. I, I had signals at work, electricity that works, airplanes that I can go on. So again, when we start complaining, remember what we get for what we do. But under Roman rule, it was a whole different story. Taxes were not to bless them. Taxes were not even to provide for them. Taxes were extortion. That's the best way we can put it. If you weren't going to benefit from them all, but you would pay or else you'd pay with your life. And Levi, being a tax collector, was one of the worst parts of their tax collection system. Let me just give you a little quick history lesson and you'll understand it better. You see, at this time in history, when this was being written, Rome had conquered so many civilizations, so many countries and kingdoms that they no longer had to tax their own people. Romans were living tax-free off the backs of those they had conquered. So if you were part of a conquered people then, you were being taxed at exorbitant rates, but yet you were not benefiting from the taxes you paid. But to make matters worse, their method of collection was this. They would use the very people they had conquered to collect the required tax amount along with a surcharge. In other words, as much as the tax collector could extort from his own people. So therefore, tax collectors, someone like Levi, publicans, you may see that word in the Bible, were hated by their own people. The only equivalent we can give to them in our modern day are pimps and drug dealers who would be willing to benefit or profit by oppressing their own people. That's how bad Levi was. That's how bad the scenario is. I mean, if you, if you understand it, these, these tax collectors, they were already rich to begin with. Because in the Roman culture, they had to buy their position. In other words, if Rome said, okay, you're going to be over uh, Caesarea, you're going you're to collect, in our days, let's say you're going to collect $15 million from the people. And a tax collector would come and say, okay, I'll give you $15 million, and then I'll go collect that plus whatever I can get. And that's how they made their profit. So they were already rich. They already had everything. They lived a, a luxurious life, but yet somehow in their hardness of their hearts, they came into that position and said, it's okay to oppress my own people. Levi was hated. He was not even considered a Jew by his own people, but Jesus said to him, come and follow me. By the very nature of his occupation, Levi had to have heard of Jesus. In the middle of the town squares where his tax booth was, he had to have seen people give testimony what was happening when Jesus came along. And I've got to believe if he followed Jesus that somewhere along the way, Levi was starting to feel the disconnect between the deadness of his heart and the joy he was seeing in others. He had to start somehow feeling the disconnect between the lack of peace, the lack of comfort that came from the calluses of sin that came around his heart. But as God does in our lives today, the work of the Spirit was already eroding that calluses. He was already making his heart soft toward Jesus. So picture this, the day that Jesus comes to the tax booth and he says, Levi, and I'm sure all the Jewish people looked around and said, sick him, Jesus, come on. This is the moment we've been waiting for. You're going to make him toast right now. 
Sometimes we feel that way about people, and you know we should not, because no one is beyond God's grasp. No one is beyond God's grasp. But instead, Jesus said, Levi, come and follow me. And Levi walked away from his old life, and he followed Jesus. Up to this point, no one had paid a higher price to follow Jesus than Levi. You say, wait a minute now, Andrew and, and Peter and James and John, they walked away from their fishing boats, right? Yeah, they did, but they left them with Dad. Dad was still fishing, and they could go back to them at any time they wanted. But when Levi left the tax booth, now he was a wanted man but from the Roman government, but still hated by his own people. There was a high price that he gave to follow Jesus. But it was nothing compared to what it feels like to be forgiven and to walk in the fullness of life. And then things get interesting. Then things change. The hated one is now a follower of Christ. Can you imagine the first small group when Jesus pulled all his guys and, hey, Peter, come here, Andrew, James, John. Let me introduce you to our new disciple, Levi. And they're like, get out of the way while I kill him. And Jesus says, no, 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 you can't kill him, boys. He's one of us now. You got to love him. You know, in our day, if we don't like it, we just find another church, right? But in Jesus' time, he goes, boys, you have no option here. Who I give my life for is who becomes a follower. And who we love and who we walk with and we serve with, we engage with, and we have no option about that. He was saying, look, we're going to show Christianity 101 right now. If you can't get along with each other, how will the world know that I'm Lord? In fact, that's why Jesus prayed in that classic passage in the 15th chapter of John before coming to the, to the cross. He prayed with the Father said, Lord, may they be one as we are one. Then the world will know that I am the Messiah. Then the world will know I am the Son of God. Why? Because of their love for each other. But that's not what this sermon's about today. You see, Levi, like many people, when they come to know Jesus Christ, all their friends don't know Jesus Christ either. They, they weren't already hanging around with a bunch of Christians. Like most of us got saved. Most of our friends were not saved. So Levi has a going away party, so to speak. And he pulls all of his friends together for dinner. Pick it up in verse 15. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, I'm just going to say real quick, I don't know why, but almost every person I run into that never reads the Bible knows this story. Because when you're talking to people, I usually hear two things from people that don't go to church and don't read the Bible. They say, well, Jesus hung out with sinners, didn't he? And I have to say, well, yeah. And he says, don't judge anybody. Yeah. They're, they're two truths they know, but there's a whole lot of context around those two truths. And there's a whole lot of context around what's happening right now because both statements are true. But the context is simply this. It'll be on your screen. Jesus did hang out with sinners, but he also called them a bunch of sickos. So you can't say that. We didn't say sickos, but he said they were sick. He didn't label them as, hey, these are cool, wonderful people that are just got it all together. He says, no, I've come. We'll pick it up in verse 17. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I've came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The politically incorrect Jesus. He's saying it as it is, and he's irritating everybody. Jesus hung out with the party crowd because they were sick, and they knew it. They were sick, and they knew it. Think about it. The text says there were many in the crowd that followed him. So they already knew there was a need of, of a change. They already knew there was a need of something coming together. They knew they were sick. They knew they were bound. They knew they were empty. And when introduced to Jesus, they found the one who offered them real life. 
I mean, why else would Levi leave such a lucrative position unless he recognizes his own emptiness? Guys, it's our emptiness that makes us drawn to our God. It's our emptiness that, co- that comes in that form where, where no matter how successful we are in life, no matter how well things are going around us, without Christ as our Savior and Lord, there's something that gnaws on the inside of us because we're not whole. You may be one today that you're, you're pursuing life with all you got. You're doing your best, but you've never surrendered your life to Christ. Can I tell you, if you wonder why you stay up at night, it's because you've yet to surrender to Christ. You've yet to come into contact and find wholeness through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus hung out with the party crowd because they were sick and they knew it, but he avoided the religious crowd because they were sick and wouldn't admit it. And that was the dividing line. That was the dividing line. In fact, from this point forward, we're going to see a real division between Jesus and the religious establishment. These very words would lead to him being crucified because he said to them, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, I wonder if Jesus kind of had to smile in that moment because there was a very statement he would later quote that was found in the prophets. They said, oh, there is none righteous. No, not one. None of us came today to show up to church because we're righteous. Oh, we've been made righteous through Jesus Christ. But we don't come to the doors in our own merit and say, oh, God, here we are. You are lucky we showed up to worship you today because we're good. God didn't come to call the righteous. He called the sinner. The ones that recognize they need our God. You see, the reality is this. We all, every one of us have the sin virus. We all are in need of a Savior. Like the leper we looked at last week, we all have that virus in us. We all have an issue that needs the Lord's touch. But it's not leprosy. It's not paralysis. It's not healing. It's not connection. It is our sin that creates separation from our God, and God calls us to repent. And he calls us to come into his presence and recognize our need of him. It takes me back to that moment last week where Jesus was in the midst of the people where he healed the paralytic. And he did the mic drop moment where he said, guys, I am the son of man. I am the son of man. Harkening back to the prophecy in Daniel saying, I'm the one you've been looking for. I have authority. I have power to forgive sin. But I also can heal this man because I'm a compassionate God. Church, that's the God we serve. He said, I've come to be the doctor for those that are sick. But for those who don't think they need me, they won't follow me anyway because they've made themselves self-righteous. That's the word we like to use today. And they spend their lives just pointing out the sins of others, the them, the they. Jesus knew who he was. He knew what he's here to do. And he came and fulfilled that perfectly. It's just like today when you, if you need a doctor, you go to the doctor, you hope you know why he was called to do what he does or she was called to do what she does. Can you imagine going to your doctor's office? There's a sign posted in the foyer that says, no sick people allowed. I, I, didn't, I didn't go to school for 14 years to deal with sick people. I might catch something. That would be ludicrous, right? Well, in the same way, can you imagine Jesus coming and saying, yeah, I didn't come for sick people. I just want to hang out with the religious crowd because they're cool. No, he came for the sick because they know it. Here's an interesting thing about Christianity. And it'll be on the screen. Christianity is the only club, and I know it's really not a club, but I can think of a better word. Christianity is the only club where you have to be unqualified to get in. It's the only club you have to be unqualified to get in. You don't attempt to make yourself qualified, and now you come to Jesus. You'll never get there. No, he touches you when you recognize you're not qualified. It's like you saying, Pastor, listen, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know my past. And honestly, I really don't have a prayer. 
And I'd say, funny that you say that because you're one prayer away from entering into the kingdom of God. He said to repent, surrender your life. It doesn't come with a point of qualification. He makes you qualified. It doesn't come with a point. Jesus doesn't look out and say, I'm going I'm to forgive them because they've got a lot to add to my kingdom. I'm going to forgive her because you know what? She's a leader. She'll make a big impact. No. He showed us to the leper. He showed us to the paralytic. Now he shows us to the tax collector. I've come to save those who are lost, no matter what their condition. And not only come to save us, he came to change us. Listen, Jesus came to do transplants, not cosmetic surgery. There's a wrong thought in the body of Christ so often that he came to make us better. Well, Jesus, I need a spiritual nose job. No, that's not what he's for. You need a heart transplants. That's what he came for. Our old heart is dead in his trespasses of sin. The wages of sin are death. And we need a doctor that can come and say, I can't make that better, but I can give you a new heart. And that new heart will live forever. That new heart will lead to a new life. He didn't come to make transplant. He came to, he came to do transplants, not cosmetic surgery. Listen, we're going to look at it next week. And it's going to be so clear. Jesus does not come to patch up your life. In fact, he said, if I patch up your life and then I start trying to pour the new wine of my spirit into your life, your life's just going to blow up. It's just going to explode. That's why when someone tells me they need a little more of Jesus, I'm like, no, you don't. That'll mess you up. You need everything or nothing. You need to be all in or not at all. You say, pastor, that doesn't sound right. My loving Jesus doesn't do that. Oh, yes, he does. He said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. If you're going to follow me, go let the dead bury their dead. Come on, let's go. If you're going to follow me, burn the ox cart. Let's go. He's not saying, come and follow me and see if you get better. He says, no, surrender. I'll give you my life. Oh, by the way, we get better because we get a whole new life. Amen. I asked you a few weeks ago, do you know where your old self is buried? You need to know that. You need to know where you made the decision, God, I'm all in. I've surrendered all. Why? Because he came to make you a new creation, not an improved version of your old self. That's why we'll see Jesus address Nicodemus and say, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born again. And Nicodemus said, what, can I crawl back in my mother's womb and do this thing all over again? He's like, no, no, you're missing the point. You've got to be born again spiritually. There's got to be this transformation that comes. It's why we can't use the excuse when it comes to sin. I was born this way. We were all born in sin. We were all born in trespasses of sin. We were all born dead in the trespasses of sin, but he came for us to be born again. It's why we do baptism the way we do baptism. Maybe you've not seen that or maybe you don't think about it. There's a reason that we do baptism by taking somebody under the water. What we're saying is the water grave. There's a death to the old self. And then when they come out of the water, there's a, there's a celebration of the new life. Now, if we were to be literal, we'd like bury them in a grave and like pull them out after 10 minutes, but that would be a little dangerous. So we just dunk them. We make sure we get them out before the bubble stop. When my father, my future father-in-law who baptized me, this is no joke, I just started dating his daughter. I was not dating, we were hanging out. We were sitting next to each other in church because she was too young to date. But I got saved, and I'm like, please baptize me. That man must have known something. He must have known that eye for his daughter, because, man, he held me down way too long. I was underneath there like. <laughs> and he smirked. I remember it well. He's in heaven right now. I'm going to bring it up with him when I get there someday. But he smirked. You shouldn't smirk when you're baptizing somebody. But we're raised a new life. 
And it's only in that new life where we understand who we are. Listen, you will never find the purpose in your creation until you meet the Creator. You'll never find the purpose until you're all in. If you play around the edges, no, you're just still playing in your old self. You just want God to make life better or make you better, but you're still just as frustrated because you've never found your purpose unless you meet the Creator. And it may be politically incorrect to say it, but Jesus said it well. We are sick and we are in need of a Savior. And that's where the angst of this whole story of Jesus comes in. Because we want Him just to meet our needs. They want Him just to meet their needs. We saw it in chapters 1 and 2. He says the kingdom of God is near, but you can only come in by repenting. By, by giving up the old life and going in a whole other direction. He came to teach, but the crowds formed because they were, had so much need. And they heard this miracle worker showed up and they wanted him to fix their problems. And out of compassion, he healed Benny. But he quickly got away from the crowds. He said, if I stay here, they will only think I've come to make life better. But I got to show them that I came to give them a whole new life. Yes, he touches the leper. Yes, he heals the paralytic. Yes, he does everything through compassion. But we have to understand the higher purpose he came was to ultimately go to that cross for us and to die the death of the sinner and to rise on the third day so that you and I can have a new life. But yet everything he did was divisive. And even the day it divides us. I see it in Christianity. I see it in the church today. Not necessarily at whole, but just around the world. I see really the Christians have kind of formed two camps. There, there's the one camp that sounds like it's the cool kid camp and it's the fun camp to hang out in. Because it's a camp that says, you know, we're just supposed to love everybody. Doesn't matter who they are, what they've done, where they've been. We just, you know, Jesus loved everybody. We're just supposed to love, love, love. But they forget that he loved us so much that he didn't let us stay where we were in the deadness of our sins. He changed the unclean to the clean. Think about this. This really struck me this week in my study. If I had read the story of the leper, okay, and if Jesus had met the leper and said, oh, come hang out with me. In fact, we'll have dinner together. I'll come to your house and we'll have a grand time. But at the end of the evening, Jesus looks at him and says, be blessed, be well, go away. And Jesus moves on without healing him. Then I'd say that's not a loving Jesus. He would leave him in the consequence. He'd leave him in, in the state that he was in. I mean, think about it. When we saw the paralytic, Jesus made it clear, I've come to forgive sin, but he, the greater issue was, was the sin than his paralysis. And can I tell you again, the condition of our heart is a bigger issue than the, consistent, or than the circumstances we walk in today. Oh, we're going to pray at the end of the service. We're going to pray about circumstances, but I can tell you, unless your heart is God, you can walk out and your circumstances have changed, but yet you're still the same person. You're still lost in the deadness of your sin. So now we see Jesus with Levi's friends. He defines them as unclean. Anything separates them from God. He's come to change that in their lives. But he can only change those who recognize the need to be changed. So here's one camp. Just love, love, love. Never call anybody repentance. Never, never say anything about their condition. Never point them in a better way. Just give them hugs in Jesus' name. Then there's the other side of Christianity. Those who like to line up and call everybody sickos. Those sinners. Oh, I can't believe what those people do. I, I can't believe how they act. I can't believe what they watch. I can't believe how they, who they hang out with. And, and they just take this joy of somehow pointing out the sins of others. Because after all, this camp thinks they're righteous. This camp thinks they're perfect. They're the ones that stand on the corner of Walmart yelling, screaming at everybody that go out. You're going to hell. You're damned. 
was downtown Charlotte, excuse me, uptown Charlotte. Back in the 80s when I moved here from a real city called Houston into the small part of Charlotte. And I'm walking with three colleagues down the path one day because we're coming from lunch. Two are female, one was female. And a street preacher starts calling the females whores. You whores. You're going to hell. You're, 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 you're all, all the judgments. They all knew I was a Christian. They looked at me. I'm like, great. And I had to go nose to nose with the street preacher and say, stop in Jesus' name. Please stop. You're not helping anybody. You're feeling good about yourself, but you're offering no hope. Stop in Jesus' name. I want to hear you here this morning. Listen. If you live your life through the lens of Twitter and you're just judging everybody, stop it in Jesus' name. If you're known in your family as the one that's always condemning, stop in Jesus' name. He didn't call us to point out and say, they're sick, they're sick, they're sick. He called us to look at our own selves and say, we know what God has done for us. We know where we have come from. We know who we were, but we know what he did in our lives and we submit our lives to him. So boat camps are wrong. He doesn't call us just to love, love, love and never point out truth. Neither does he call us just to burn people up with truth and never offer love. See, Jesus wasn't afraid to say some are sick and I've come for you, but he wasn't afraid either to point out that those who thought they were okay were not. And it's good news for the sick who want to change. Look, look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It'll be on the screen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Guys, you want to know what your purpose is? We are ambassadors for Christ. You want to know what God made us for? To point others to Jesus. We were lost in our sin, but now we're forgiven. We're not perfect. Look at your neighbor real quick and say, you're not perfect. Just thought that'd be fun to do. But the Bible calls us saints. Say, pastor, the Bible calls me a saint. Yeah, but you still have sin. Let's just be honest, okay? We are saints. We've been set apart. We've been made righteous by God. We do sin, but we know the pathway of repentance. And that's what separates us from the, those that don't know. Because though it was good news for the sick who wanted to change, it was bad news for the sick who wouldn't admit it. So where do we find ourselves in the story? Because that's what we've got to do when you read the Gospels. Where do you and I fit into all this? We're not Levi. We're not tax collectors. We're not hated. But we were sinners set free by the grace of our God. Amen. So where do we find ourselves? I, I see two things, and this is kind of the way we're going to wrap this up today. The first is this. We don't play the role of the doctor. We just introduce people to the doctor. We don't, we don't play the role of the doctor. We just introduce people to the doctor. And, and I want to say that very clearly because I'm sincerely afraid of somebody hearing this message today and going and saying, Pastor, great message. I'm going to go home and call my neighbor sickos today. And I'm going to go, hmm, please don't mention our church's name. And please don't come back. Seriously. Because we don't associate with that. There's no hope in judgment that comes from people. There is hope when we introduce people to a doctor. And the doctor touches their heart and says, let me tell you, where you're sick, I can make you whole. 
We're not the doctors, but we introduce people to the doctors. We live with the purpose of bringing people to him. He will reveal to them their condition. We learn to walk alongside people and love people in such a way they can meet the one who we met and forgave us and he can forgive them. That's why he calls us ambassadors. An ambassador doesn't go to another country and says, your country stinks and we hate you. No, he says, we think our country has something to offer you. And we like relationship here. And we are ambassadors for Christ. We're coming into a relationship and saying, we want to introduce you to the one that changed our lives. We want to introduce you to the one that did heal our marriage. We want to introduce you to the one that did heal our child. We want to introduce you to the one who changed everything. But it doesn't come unless we love enough that we want them to change. But we recognize the change only comes by introducing them to Jesus. So the first thing is that we're not doctors. We introduce them. Here's the second. You've got to go back to last week's to get this, this little picture, but it's simply this. The four friends that brought the man to, to Jesus. If we see ourselves in this understanding of these camps, then we are the four friends who have an opportunity to see lives changed or just get good seats. We are the four friends. Remember the paralytic lording down through the roof. We are the four friends that get to see the opportunity to see lives changed or we just get good seats. Think about it. If four guys were healthy enough and strong enough to pick up their friend who was paralyzed, you can go back and read that from last week's message, and lower him down through the roof that he may, he may know Jesus, then they knew two things for certain. They knew who Jesus is, and they could have beat the crowd and gotten good seats for themselves and forgot about their friend because they were healthy enough. Instead of running to Jesus to have a temporal need met, they ran away from Jesus to grab the one who needed him more and brought him so that he'd have opportunity to meet Jesus. Listen, gang, we can come week in and week out and get good seats and hope everything is set to our liking, that the temperature's right, the coffee's good, and David sings well. And pastor doesn't meddle too much. Or we can be part of lives being changed. Can you imagine the conversation of the five friends after the paralytic was healed? I can just sit them, hear them sitting at his house that night and they're kicking back and they're having some refreshments, some food together. And the former paralytic looks at him and says, guys, I can't thank you enough. You know, I didn't want to go, but you got me there anyway. And look at me now, I'm walking. And I can imagine the four friends saying, no, you don't understand. Thank you. Our lives will never be the same. Because we got you to Jesus. Can I tell you, when you pick someone else's mat up and you see them come to know Jesus Christ, you'll never be the same. When you engage in someone else's life and say, I want to get you to the one that can change you and you see them change. Listen, you don't worry about getting a good seat. You just can't, come, can't wait to come and praise Jesus and say, Lord, send me out to somebody else and I may have a chance to tell them of you. Because we were made for that. We were made for that. You see, when we understand what God did for us, we cannot help but want others to know that. But if all we do is focus on getting good seats and weekend after weekend after weekend after all we do is come and get, 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 then we wonder why we get grumbly. Well, uh, Christianity is just kind of a thing. No, it's our life. It's our everything. I said it last week and we'll say it again. It'll be on the screen. The way Jesus dealt with people then is how he deals with us now. The way Jesus dealt with people then is how Jesus deals with us now. When we look in the rearview mirror of our lives, when we look behind us, 
Can we see anyone who is closer to the kingdom because of us? When we look behind us, is anyone one step closer to Jesus because I'm in their life? Because the way Jesus dealt with people then is the way he deals with people now. And the way he deals with them then is how he wants us to deal with people now. Go. Find the one on the mat. Bring them to Jesus. They don't need you to tell them the sick that they are sick. They know it. Years ago, I had the chance to witness to a man who was building another church building for me. I, we have built five church buildings in our, our career. Most pastors do it once and then they retire. And I was talking to him one day and we were just talking about faith. And he said, I can't believe we've, we've been talking for 30 minutes and you haven't told me I'm going to hell. And I said, well, you are. He goes, I know that. I grew up in the South. Everyone in the South knows they're going to hell. And I, thought, <laughs> I thought how true he was in the culture. But yet he's like, but you're telling me about the love of Jesus. Because it makes all the difference in the world. We are supposed to love everyone, but we can't stop there. We've got to introduce them to the doctor. We don't get to call them sick, but we can tell them about the one who changed our lives, our marriages, our outlook, and we can do it in such a way that they might just consider Jesus Christ being Lord. Every Sunday we close by Quoting Romans 15, 13. I can't say quoting because I mess it up all the time. Mike's version of Romans 15, 13. But I always follow that up with a passage out of 1 Peter 3, 15. It'll be on the screen. It says this. But in your hearts, honor Christ. The Lord is holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Why? Because everyone we meet is somebody Jesus Christ died for. Everyone we meet is someone that needs to be reconciled to him. And he's put us out there as ambassadors of Christ's church. He's put us out there as witnesses. And I know some, it's easy to argue and say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, pastor. And I say, oh, but we all do. You may not have the gift, but we have a responsibility. Oh, there are others that can talk to a fence post and it'll get saved. I understand that. But yet, all of us have someone in our life that God has called us to witness to. I don't know where I came across it years ago, but it's a saying that just really stirred my heart. And I just want to close with this, and then we're going we're to come into a time of prayer. We're going to come in a time of anointing. But it says simply this, I, I fear the salvation of anyone who does not fear the salvation of someone. For those of us that are saved, we're not just hanging on for heaven, people. For those of us who are saved, who've surrendered our life to Jesus Christ, and I want to clarify what saved means. It doesn't mean that you believe in Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus, made it very clear the demons believe and they shudder. So if all we do is believe, that's demon faith. But if we surrender and we repent, then that's faith that leads to salvation. And I want to call you this morning to, to salvation. I want you to consider, have I surrendered my life to Christ or do I just believe? Have I come to the place where I've trusted him with everything or am I just wanting him to fix me up and make me better? You may be one today, you've got Jesus patches all over you, but yet you've never surrendered. You say, Mike, how can that happen? Because he's compassionate. 
He's loving. We call out, oh God, heal my grandma, or God, touch my aunt, or God, give me a business. And, and we get it. And if we really haven't surrendered, then we have no reason to come back to him until we have another need. And basically, we make him useful instead of making him Lord. And I feel as we came into this message today, and I read of the tax and I'm like, God, what am I going to do with that? It's the sick that Jesus came for because they know they need him. But those who've made themselves self-righteous, he said, I don't have time for you because you're not going to follow anyway. So let me ask you today, where are you in this story? Where are you in this story? Are you the four that carry or are you just looking for good seats? Are you pointing to the doctor or are you trying to play a doctor? You see, guys, we live in a day where the consequences are too high not to know where you're in that. We live in a day where the culture needs so much a clear witness of Jesus Christ that we can't get this wrong. You have people in your life, and that's what we're going to pray about in a moment, that need Jesus. This morning, what I'm asking is this. Are you the avenue of which they're going to see him? Or are you just praying that someone else may impact their lives? Christ came for the sinners, you and I. He came, we were hopeless and helpless, and he offered us everything. He didn't come to use us. He didn't come to build his kingdom off our backs. He invited us to be part of his kingdom. But when we've come in, he puts us around and says, now I want you to be ambassadors. Just let your light shine and watch what he can do.